we have a lot of ground to cover today. And um, I really don't think it'll take more than two hours. So. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle, and you can see um, you can see a picture of it there. And if you haven't been here recently or have never been here, um, how did we get to the tabernacle of Moses this morning? And what we've been doing is we've been studying, or really. Actually, we have a team of people that have been preaching and speaking, and I think it's so good to get different perspectives. And we started in Genesis, and right now we're in Exodus and Leviticus, and my topic is the Tabernacle of Moses. And that may not be familiar to some of you, but uh, it will be more so when we get through today. But how did we get to the Tabernacle of Moses? How did we get here today? Well, let me hit some high spots. Israel's 400 years of slavery. God secures Moses to do his bidding at a burning bush. God wants um, Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh basically said no. So there were 10 plagues. Israel fled. The Red Sea parted. Everybody do this. The Red Sea parted. The Egyptians drowned, and then Israel began what they didn't realize. It could have been a 40-day period in the wilderness, became 40 years in the wilderness. And um, the old comment about that is it was easier to get the children of Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. Egypt meaning not trusting God, worldly living, etc., etc., so... Um, then there was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, which were, uh, very visible signs of God's leaving, uh, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Um, in 50 days after they left, God gave Moses the 10 commandments and, um, that's what Eric spoke on last week. And it's the whole thing about the Ten Commandments is so interesting. How many of you are familiar with the Feast of Israel, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles? Um, the Holy Spirit came at which, which of those feasts? Oh, Pentecost. Pentecost. Penta means 50. And so the idea was Passover was the beginning of the year in essence, for Israel. It's the beginning of their history with God, their new history with God. Fifty days later, they celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Well, 50 days after the original Pentecost, Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments um, on the two tables of stone. Now, Mel Brooks says there were three tables of stone, and one of them broke, but that's really not true. But it is hilarious if you go look at that. But if you show it here, it's probably not good. Moses comes down on the mountain with the Ten Commandments on the two tables of stone. The children of Israel are already worshiping a calf. Aaron almost lost his priesthood over this. He basically said they threw gold in a fire and a calf came out. It's a little hard to believe. They were worshiping a calf 
the terrible thing was 3,000 of the children of Israel died that day as a judgment. The day that Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and Moses did what to the commandments? He broke them. So here's a great picture. The commandments are, you are unable to keep the Ten Commandments. They're always going to be broken if you use them for a method to please God or to get to God or to become righteous. And here's the reason. The law was originally chiseled in stone. But if you read through certain portions of the book of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you begin to understand that God's original idea was to write those laws on hearts of flesh. So, Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost fully came. That means it had never fully come before. When the day of Pentecost fully came, the Holy Ghost came down in power. And I personally believe everybody ought to have a power experience with the Holy Ghost. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in healing. I believe in prophecy. Should you do all of those? I don't know. I'm not going to argue the fact. But let me tell you this. If you haven't had a power encounter, you need one with the Holy Ghost. Because when the day of Pentecost fully came, the Holy Ghost came down He wrote those laws by the power of an emotional, powerful experience on the hearts of the 120, and the result was 3,000 people were saved. The first Pentecost, 3,000 people died, the broken law, law and stone. The full Pentecost, laws written on human hearts, empowered by the Spirit, and able to bring 3,000 former enemies to Christ in one moment in time. In closing, really that's enough. That's a powerful message right there. And that's not even my message. But we go from the Ten Commandments to God basically saying, you have a tent, I want a tent. You live in tents, I want to live in a tent. You could ask this question, why a tabernacle? And the tabernacle is a tent. That's the same. When you say tabernacle from the Bible, it means tent. Say tabernacle. But you meant tent. Say tent. Same thing. Good. Why a tabernacle? Number one, God wanted a place to live with us. Number two, God wanted us to understand that there is a process involved in living with him. How many of you are married? Did you get along immediately or by process? Hopefully, you're getting along somehow. (laughs) Number three. Why tabernacle? Number three, God wanted to reveal Jesus as the Messiah and describe what he has done for us thousands of years ago in Israel's history. That may not make any sense yet, but here's what happened. God, well, let me go on. I'll get ahead of myself because there's so, so much to do. And I'm not going to get to all of it. I'm fairly confident. But let me go here. In Luke 24, 25 through 27, let's read this together. Who likes to read out loud? 
We'll do it anyway. One thing about reading out loud is words have to come out of your mouth. That's another, another thing. Okay, ready? Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures what? The primary purpose of the Old Testament is not to show you an angry God. It's to show you through type, through shadow, through picture, how wonderful Jesus is, who is the exact image of God. I don't think you get an accurate image of who God is in the Old Testament. I believe the New Testament. I believe the Bible proves that out. If you know God based on a purely Old Testament viewpoint of this terrible, mean person, you, you have to take into the account that Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In the book of Colossians, I believe it says, he is the express image of God. If you are confused about what God the Father looks like, you will not discover him in a pure sense. In the Old Testament, you have to look into the life of Jesus. Okay? That's very, very important. Now, Luke 24, this discourse is Jesus talking to um, disappointed disciples. None of Jesus' disciples, no matter how much he told them, basically believed he was going to die, number one, certainly wanted to be raised from the dead, number two, although Jesus told them over and over. They just couldn't get it. You know, when we get angry with people who don't get it, here's what you need to realize. They don't get it. If somebody doesn't see something, there's no sense being mad at them. You know why? They don't see it. So, Jesus incognito, that means Jesus in disguise, approaches these despondent disciples who only understand that Jesus is dead, and they're walking away from their calling on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus means bitter pools. People went down there to soak. It's a great picture of people who somehow missed out on God. And he's talking to them, but they don't recognize him. And they actually say to Jesus, Jesus says, what do you got? Why are you guys walking along and why are you so sad? And they say, are you the only knucklehead in, in Israel that doesn't know what happened? And the, the interesting thing was Jesus was the only one in Israel that really did know and understand what had happened. So Jesus says to them, well, what things are you talking about? And then they basically preached to Jesus the gospel with no resurrection. We thought he was the one who was going to do this, that, and the other. So Jesus does this. He preaches probably the greatest message ever preached in the world to these two or three characters on the road to Emmaus and preaches himself through every book of the Bible through the entire Old Testament. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And it was after they saw that that suddenly their eyes were opened and they saw who he really was. Now, 
Here's what that can mean by insight. You will not fully know who Jesus is until you begin to see many different characteristics of who he is from the Old Testament. Powerful. Nobody shout me down because I'm preaching good. I thought that'd be a really exciting point. Wasn't really. I'm going to pout and have a drink of water. I'll be okay. Now, We need to discover who Jesus is in the Old Testament. More about him. Why Old Testament? Reveal God's plan. Reveal who Jesus is. People have said the Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. Let's look at this next verse. This is powerful. Let's read this together. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's that word. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there's so much marvelous in that one verse. One thing is, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the disposition, the motivation, the viewpoint was to come not full of anger or wrath or bitterness, to become full of what? Grace and truth. Now, there's a problem. Everybody wants grace. Not everybody wants truth. You need to think about that a second. Everybody wants grace. What's grace? Benefit, health, wealth, ability, gifts. But not everybody wants it. Oh, oh, they may want to go to heaven. That would be a novel idea in the church. But the only problem is to receive the fullness of grace, it's married to truth. A lot of people, I look at Hollywood with all this, um, all this come out recently, and it was inevitable that it would come out, the thing about the sexual um, depravity of these major Hollywood producers. One's been accused of between the two or 300 assault, rape, sexual violations another was 30 or 40 we had dear old bill cosby whom i really did love and i still love him i want god to save him he's had 30 women um now every one of those guys now that they're exposed they want grace they want forgiveness but the trouble is in every level of society every level of our our lives There's an element of truth we need to embrace to enjoy the kind of grace we're really after. Here's a perfect idea. Everybody's a sinner, but doesn't everybody get saved? Who gets saved? People that realize they're sinners and look to Jesus. See, Jesus is the grace. Acknowledging your condition properly is the truth. And they're married. And Jesus came embracing not just the truth, which was the law, he came embracing grace, grace and truth. I think that's a really significant idea. Now, when we read this verse, I've got that note, dwelt means tabernacled or tented. I remember as a young Christian, the first time I saw that truth, I, I, don't, I don't think it was over 40 years ago, I, I, someone said, do you know the word dwell there means to camp out? And I thought, isn't that meaningful? God wants to come camp out with us. He wants to 
jump into our condition. He wants to tent, tabernacle, dwell with us. And when you see this, um, you realize that this language of, um, in the original ties us to the language in the Old Testament about the tabernacle of Moses. And so let me jump into some notes here. And I have extensive notes. I usually don't like to read a bunch, but I probably will read a lot today for your benefit because there's so much to this. And if, number one, you're not going to get everything I say because any issue in here could take 20 minutes to fully explain. Trust me. But you need to be hungry for what's in the Bible. Actually, when John Mark and Andy and some of us talked about why we should do this series, it was to try to create hunger in people for what's in this book. That I really do believe we're in, in an era where no one should be illiterate. We're illiterate biblically oftentimes by default because we don't read it. If it's not on a three-minute YouTube video, man, I'm bored. Anyway, this verse speaks of the incarnation of the Son of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It doesn't only tell us that God's Son became incarnate. It tells us that he did so full of grace and truth. You just talked about that. The Old Testament prophesied and promised the coming of Christ. Many do not realize how frequently and how many different ways these prophecies and promises occur. One form of prophecy is called a type. How many of you understand the term type or shadow? Now, let me do this. Please, um, don't be shy to raise your hand. How many of you do not understand the biblical concept of type or shadow? You don't understand it. You need explanation. Raise your hand, please. Okay. Here's the idea. The Bible has, um, well, be easy if I just read it. Well, I have a dog and bark yourself, a friend of mine used to tell me. A type, yeah, I was going to explain it poorly when I've just got it. I stole somebody's notes who probably been dead 50 years who knew what he was talking about. A type is a person, event, or thing in the Old Testament that is a type of Christ. It's a shadow of which Christ is the body. For example, when Abraham was about to kill his son Isaac, God stopped him and provided a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. The ram was offered in the place of Isaac, Genesis 22. The ram in that story is a type of Christ. We deserve death. Christ was sacrificed on our behalf. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The lamb in the Old Testament at Passover was a type of Jesus in the New Testament. It was a shadow. It was a picture. That's what a type is. Or... When Joseph was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, this was a type of Christ who was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Actually, if you studied Joseph in the light of Jesus, you would find some people say 80 similarities between the life of Joseph and what happened to Joseph and the life of Christ. Actually, that'll be one of the chapters in my book, which will be published next fall. Um, Harper Collins, 1595. Help yourself. I'm, I'm a word stud now. I guess that's all there is to it. So let me write this. 
Wouldn't it be awesome just to write books and hide out and only be nice to people you wanted to be nice to? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) That ain't going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. That's just not the real world. You need the fruit of the Spirit. I don't. I have it. You do. You need it. I'm in deep now. Okay. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've been through this. It means tabernacle. That tabernacle in the Old Testament, we will begin to see as the type of Jesus in the New Testament. In Exodus 25, we're given detail after detail regarding the building and furnishing of the tabernacle of Moses, or it's called the tent of meeting. Now, here's why God told Moses, get every detail exactly correct. Now, it felt like God had a control spirit on him. But really, what he, that's pretty good. What he was doing was he was giving a specific, clear representation of Jesus through these instructions he was giving to Moses. And what God was saying in a huge long-term way was, I'm the only person that fully understands what he looks like, what he does, who he is. Don't add anything or take anything away from the instructions I'm giving you in building this tabernacle, which was a tabernacle of worship. All right. Everybody okay so far? The Israelites were to build this tent according to the exact pattern God revealed to Moses. It was to be a sanctuary. Let me see if it's next. Oh, I know. The one I had the picture on, they took away. That's okay. It was to be a sanctuary for where God would manifest his presence among the people. It was to be a continual object lesson of the presence of the Lord for the people who were wandering in the wilderness toward the promised land. But the tabernacle was more. It was a type and an anticipation of the incarnation of Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us, of whom Isaiah calls Emmanuel. How many of you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Okay, what was the tabernacle? It was basically a tent inside an enclosure or a tent surrounded by a fence with a gate at one end. The inner tabernacle was made of 48 boards covered with gold, dropped into sockets, sunk into the sand. The ceiling was composed of 10 curtains embroidered with angels on them. Over this was a covering of white goat's hair. Over that was a covering of ram skins dyed red. Finally, there was a goat skin cover over the whole of it. So there were four coverings over the tabernacle. Now, I had a great picture of it, but we pulled it off to put that original slide up. Let's go back to the original slide. You can get an idea. Okay, what you're looking at is um, this entire enclosure is the tabernacle of Moses. And you don't see it, but right down here, there's a gate that comes in. And the tabernacle of Moses has six pieces of furniture in it. And each, we call it furniture, um, each piece of furniture is different, has a different function, and gives us a different message of who, of who Jesus is. So we're going to see that. So... Um, Okay, that's where 
the goat skin and all those coverings were right there. Is that printing up there? Isn't that cool? I'm, I'm so technically savvy. It's disgusting. My problem is I want to watch too. So you can't have it all, can you, I guess? All right, now. Everybody still okay? Okay. I mean, if you weren't, there's not much I could do about it. But. All right, outside in the courtyard, that's the courtyard. Just beyond the gate, right there, let me do this. Outside in the courtyard, just beyond the gate was the bronze altar. Where sacrifices were offered. Between the altar and the tabernacle was the laver filled with water. It was like a big basin. That's where the priest would wash. The tabernacle proper was divided into two rooms. So right here, you had two different rooms. That's a terrible error. That looked like a UFO or something collapsed. And How's that? I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. If you want to go to another church, I get it. You know, I mean, but you, yeah. What if we were slick? We would be awesome if we were slick, wouldn't we? It's not going to happen. Don't worry. Just don't worry about it. All right. Where were we? Okay. The tabernacle proper was divided into two rooms. That's where I drew that arrow. And the, the front part, let's just say the front part, was called the holy place. And it had three other pieces of furniture in it that we're going to look at in a moment. And then the back part um, was completely dark. And it had one piece of furniture in it. And it had a solid curtain or veil across it. And it was impossible to go through it unless you went through it supernaturally. There was no opening in it. But it's, it's, it's incredible. Once a year, the high priest would go through that curtain and offer the sacrifice for the whole nation. And uh, he had on this garment that had bells on the bottom. He had a rope tied to his ankle. And he took a blood sacrifice. He sprinkled it on that piece of furniture. Meanwhile, the, the glory of God was in there. The only light in there was a supernatural light from God. And if the sacrifice displeased God, he would kill the high priest. And when the people outside heard the bell stop, they would drag him out with the rope. Isn't this an awesome religion? That's better than uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They should have had that part in there. They never had to do that, though. But that was... Did you know all that was in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen? It's an amazing book. You're a Christian. Why don't you read the Bible? It would really help. It would help. That's an amazing story. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a little ugly. Um, okay, then we talk again about outside in the courtyard. We've talked about this some. Was the bronze altar where sacrifices were offered. And between the altar and the tabernacle, we find the labor filled with water. We see that the tabernacle was divided into rooms. Okay, we see that in the, beyond the altar, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've skipped over something. 
tabernacle was divided in those two rooms. The holy place, which was entered frequently, that's the front half of the covered tabernacle, contained the candlestick, which had seven lights, the table of showbread, upon which was 12 loaves of bread that became food for the priest, and the altar of incense where the daily incense offering was made. Beyond the altar of incense, behind the veil, was the Holy of Holies. How many of you heard the Holy of Holies mentioned? People say, you got to go to the boss's office? Yeah, I got to go to the Holy of Holies. Trust me, his is not the Holy of Holies. But the concept is this place that's very rare to get into. The room contained the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a chest made of acacia wood covered with gold. Now, the interesting thing is um, the type of wood they used in the tabernacle was called acacia wood. Say acacia. One of its characteristics, one of its characteristics was it was very tough and hard to work with. What would that be a picture of? What is very tough and hard to work with that you're familiar with? Them. People. And see, you have a picture here that God chooses hard to work with, difficult humanity to build his tabernacle because that's where he wants to live. And he covers the wood with gold. And it means different things in different places. We don't have time to get into all that. Okay, so... The Holy of Holies contains the Ark of the Covenant, a chest of wood covered with gold, over which lay a solitary gold mercy seat with two cherubim. So on top of the Ark of the Covenant, I'll actually show you. That's the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll work backwards. That's a wooden box covered in gold, and that... That right there, I don't know if you can tell from the picture. How good is that picture up there? That's pretty good. Are two angels. And the top part of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. Now, inside the Ark of the Covenant were several items. One in particular I'll mention. You can go study the other one. Were the tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments was written on. Now, what you see there, this is a type of Christ. It really is. Jesus was the only person who could fulfill the law. You couldn't. Whenever you looked at the law, in order to obey it, to make yourself righteous with God, the end result was death. If you have not discovered that in your life, listen, some point in your life, you're going to discover the harder you try to do the right thing, the more the wrong thing happens. Anybody know that life story? Yes, that's, that's really pretty much right. So what you see here in this Ark of the Covenant, that was where the presence of God stayed. The top of it, the mercy seat, the bottom of it, a box inside of the Ten Commandments. Now, in the history of Israel, a foreign nation stole the Ark of the Covenant and they lifted up the mercy seat and looked at the Ten Commandments and thousands of them died for doing that. How many of you remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's depicted in that movie with Harrison Ford. But what's the point? 
The law does you no good without the mercy of God. It's only the mercy of God that helps you become the kind of person that wants to do the right thing. Actually, the interesting thing is the order of the way that place was furnished. Now, this is the gate. What do we have here? Brazen altar. What was the altar for? A sacrifice. You could not really enter into the presence of God apart from sacrifice. But not your sacrifice because your sacrifice was not sufficient. It took a perfect sacrifice. Now what do we find behind the brazen altar? We find the laver. And what the laver was, the laver was a big brass bowl. Here it is. The laver was a big brass bowl. And in the bottom of the bowl were mirrors. And what the priest would do after they ministered at the altar, they would wash and they would look into that bowl and it was covered in the bottom with mirrors. And so what you would do is when they looked in the bowl, who would they see? They would see themselves. And so the labor becomes a mirror of the scriptures because the Bible talks about the way we get clean is through the washing of the water of what? Of the word. And when you read the Bible on a consistent basis, it's as though you're looking into your own labor and you begin to see in your reflection from what you see in the Bible where you need to be cleansed. That's pretty amazing. So that's the labor. Now, is this making any sense? Yeah, I need to go back here. I know I'm jumping around, but uh, welcome to... My world. Actually, I really enjoyed Eric last week. He started by saying he had five cups of coffee. <laughs> and then he jumped around a little bit, and I thought, hey, it's cool. Okay. One of the amazing things is the labor is behind the altar. Here's what that tells us. You, why is the labor not in front of the altar? It's because you can't wash yourself enough to get forgiven. You can't wash yourself enough to present yourself to God. You need a sacrifice. You need a savior. You cannot do the right thing enough or not do the wrong thing enough to make yourself presentable to God. You need a savior. You need Jesus as your brazen altar. And after you come to Jesus as your brazen altar, after you come to him as your sacrifice, then you will discover there are some things about you that just aren't right. And the Bible will tell you that. Okay, we good so far? There's a lot to this. I only have eight pages of notes. That was page one. I'm, I'm kidding. Not really. Okay. We almost need to take a breather, don't we? 
Here's the question. How does all this type typify and foreshadow Christ? Well, first of all, the tabernacle was a tent. As were the dwellings of all the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. As such, it went through everything during the journey that other tents did, but it was nevertheless God's unique dwelling place. Christ, who became a man and dwelt among us, experienced the adversities and temptations that we experience, and yet in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Secondly, the details and furnishings of the tabernacle typify the various phases and aspects of Christ's saving work on our behalf. For example... The bronze altar, the bronze or brazen altar is the type of Christ, our substitute, and our sacrifice. The laver, that second picture, is a type of Christ, our cleansing, and our regeneration. The table of showbread that I haven't mentioned yet was also in that. It's a type of Christ. The bread of life. So you had a table of showbread, you had an altar of incense, and you had a lampstand in the first part of that holy, in the holy place. Then you had the holy holies with the Ark of the Covenant. So inside the first part of the tabernacle, you had the table of showbread, which was a table that had 12 loaves of bread on it that the priest could eat. They had to refresh it every week. It's a picture of communion. It's, it's a message that God wants to commune with us. It's also a precursor to begin to understand communion. It's also a type of the bread of life, who is Christ. And it had an altar of incense. That's what that is right there. Can you see the smoke coming up? Yeah, they would burn incense. Um, and they would keep that going continually. The incense altar is a type of Christ, our intercessor and advocate. And then we come to... The lampstand, and the lampstand was the only light they had in the front part of the holy place. And um, do I have to make any analogies about the lampstand? Jesus, the light of the world, a light, a lamp hidden under a bushel, shouldn't be hidden. You're the light of the world. It's amazing. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you're the light of the world. It's pretty cool. Then the Ark of the Covenant which is a type of the literal presence of God. And the mercy seat is a type of Christ, our sacrifice. That's where they sprinkle the blood. Now, I have literally got pages and pages and pages and pages about what those pieces of furniture are all about. And I'm not going to really get into all of that because you need to go study that yourself. But one thing I did want to do basically in closing, if I can find this. I wanted to say, who then is Jesus? Who is he? Isn't it remarkable that God would go to such lengths to produce that weird structure, a weird goat, dyed goat skin, acacia wood, gold-covered box of gold, place you burnt incense, big altar, a bowl with mirrors that you got washed in, lampstand, 
that stuff is just so weird until you begin to understand what all of those different things reveal about who Jesus is. All the way down to the order, the order, the process. I haven't even talked about the veil and what the veil to the Holy of Holies. See, the idea about the Holy of Holies was the only time a high priest ever went into the Holy of Holies, that was the room that had the Ark of the Covenant that was covered with a veil that had no opening. He somehow got through there once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he sprinkled blood. I've mentioned that before on, on, on the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, here's a problem. The problem the tabernacle speaks of is this prior to the coming of Christ. Basically, the only person that could really get close to God was one God, one person a year on the Day of Atonement. And he wasn't too happy to be back there. He had a rope on his ankle in case stuff didn't work out. But what does that speak of? Well, when Jesus was crucified, when his flesh was rent, when he was crucified, nails through his flesh, through his wrist or hands, through his feet, the crown of thorns that penetrated his head, the spear that pierced his side. He was what God was talking about for decades and generations. He was that veil between all of Israel and his manifest, marvelous, incredible, life-changing presence. And when Jesus' body was pierced, when his flesh was rent, the Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn, but it was torn from the top to the bottom. What does that mean? It means the veil, that thing that keeps us from God, has been completely removed. Not because a man could remove it from the bottom to the top, but because God himself was willing to sacrifice his own son to tear apart that thing that covered him up from us so that we could come boldly to him and get to know who he really is. Took a long time to get to preaching that. But who then is Jesus? Well, he's God's dwelling place among men. He's our sacrifice whose blood cleanses us from all sin. He's the word who washes us clean. He's the light of the world that makes us the light of the world. He's our intercessor. He continually intercedes for us. He is the bread of life. He is our mercy seat, the one who extends mercy to us and reconciles us. He is our high priest that makes us a royal priesthood. He is our torn veil that is through his torn flesh we gain free access to God. Every one of those attributes can be clearly seen when you have eyes to see them in the tabernacle of Moses and all of those furnishings, how they're constructed and where they're placed. And... That's one of the purposes of the Old Testament. Oh, I've got an awesome verse. Let's close with this verse. This is so amazing. Let me ask you this question. When the sons of Israel left Egypt, did they leave poor or rich? 
rich, rich. Well, in Exodus 25, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. Let me read that again. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's one of the greatest truths of the Bible. Ultimately, do you know where God dwells in the most high-level, experiential, powerful way? It's in a house that is built with the sacrifices and the offerings of people who bring them willingly. Second Corinthians says, God loves a cheerful giver. The Amplified says about that verse, God cannot do without a cheerful giver. If you want to know the Lord, you need in a deep, deeper, more, more profound way, you need to allow him to work in your heart to where what you offer him, you do freely. You know, 25 years ago, there was a particular season of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I did, I went to four area Christian schools and had um, conferences or meetings with the student body. And the reason they invited me was they wanted their student body to be touched by the Holy Spirit. Well, the student body didn't want to be touched by the Holy Spirit. They didn't want to hear me talk. You know, typical junior high, high school kids. And so, so when they would come in, here's what I would tell them. I would tell them, you know, you don't even have to listen to me today if you don't want to. It's okay. doesn't matter to me. I'm good. I got some things I want to tell you, but you don't need to listen to me and you don't need to try to do anything with what I'm telling you. And what I would do was I would set them free because it's only when you're truly free and you're not under somebody else's pressure or under somebody's compulsion can you truly receive the most God wants you to have. You see, I don't care if you come to church or not. I'm coming. I mean, I know preachers that, I know, I know guys that if you were late, they wouldn't even let you in the door and you'd get cussed out. I'm serious. You get maybe I'd cussed out, but be Christian cussing, whatever that. But see, if you're not free to not be here, you're not free to be here. And if you're not free when you're here, you're not going to get what God wants you to have. And I want to tell you this, anybody that doesn't like us that comes here, they, they can multiply. What do I mean? I mean, that's the wrong way to put that. But anyone here that's angry and under pressure, your, your heart's not in a place to really get something from God. You see, I want people coming that want to be here. Because I know what will happen. 
God will touch those people. God will help those people. But even if you feel obligated to come, now, children, tough luck. If your parents come, you're coming. That's the way that works. But basically, if you are not free to receive, you will not receive what God wants you to have. We do not, and the the whole thing, listen, we're not in any financial trouble. We're really not. We're doing very well. One of the reasons we're doing very well is that we don't pressure people over their money. And see, one of the things I have in my heart to see God do is pour out his spirit in a most profound way in the midst of a bunch of people that are just hungry and want to come and want to freely give themselves. Not because mama said to or daddy said to or so-and-so said to, but because something so remarkable has happened in your heart. You've seen God as he really is. I'm going to say this. You know, you you could think, you know, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. No, you, you will not find the fullest expression of who you are alone. You will really find who you are in the give and take, in the tussle, in the rubbing, in real life that comes, in the reconciliation, in the banging together of real life that comes in churches and true relationships. That's where you, that because there, there's a point in place where you don't know what a mess you are until somebody else tells you. This guy, Jordan Peterson, he, he's, he's deeply concerned about um, the erosion of free speech in North America. And the reason as he is concerned is because he knows truth is not discovered in a vacuum. It's discovered in the communication of people with one another. And everybody needs to be at some point free to express whatever it is they think so that you can determine how crazy they are or you can determine how right they are. Because that's what free speech is about. The government should never tell us what we can and can't say. Honestly, it shouldn't because it erodes the very foundation and structure of our nation because ultimately the only thing that will truly prevail in human discourse, in human reality is the truth itself. And it only comes through a relational humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can't be written on pages and books. If it could be, if it was good enough to be written on a table of stone, we wouldn't need a savior who wants to impregnate it in our hearts. They would just simply give us a picture or a book and everybody had to read that picture or look at that poster and they'd be good. No, it's got to work itself out through your heart, through relationship, in real human dynamic intercourse. Or it's not good. It's not the real thing. If you can go hide out in a cave somewhere and be holy, you're deceived. True holiness got to put on his pants, put on his shoes, put on his socks, and go out in the marketplace, go out in the affairs of life, and behave like something. 
That's all, folks. Where's Mitch? Is he still here? Oh, let's do this. Stephen Giordano, come up here. Stephen is, I don't always do this, but sometimes. Yeah, just stand right here. Stephen has been with us from almost the very beginning. He's a wonderful man. Love him dearly. Um, He's going to Africa for 90 days. You know, you may never come back. You may come back. No, no, what I mean is you you may discover your destiny. It could take you anywhere. And I believe you're really supposed to go. I believe it's God's will for your life. But Stephen has been a big part of us. And I wanted to honor him basically before he left and, and let people take a good look at him. And I want us to pray for Stephen as well. So um, some of you want to come up here. and Because I believe he's not just going. I believe we're sending him. He's going to a ministry in Africa. They actually have um, an eight-story. Yeah, I just, I'm telling your story. You ought to tell it. Where's that microphone? Just tell them who you are, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. tell them who you are. Um, I've got this. Yeah, I've got this incredible privilege of teaming up with the ministry uh, Dove Africa. It's part of Larry Kreider's ministry, Dove International, if you guys know him. Um, it's uh, We're going to be building a eight-story uh, facility right in the center of Nairobi, Kenya, uh, near the slums. It's going to be a... Um, headquarters for the ministry, but it's also a for-profit um, institution. It's got a conference center, a restaurant, um, hotel rooms, amphitheater, um, offices, and at the top, it's a prayer rotunda um, to declare the Lord's promises over the nations from the center of Nairobi. So it's an, uh, I, I'm going to be developing the business plan from an investor's perspective, from a donor's perspective, and launching their fundraising campaign and see that come to pass. They already have the land. Um, they've been praying for water because uh, there's a drought right now. You may have heard about the drought in East Africa. They've been praying for water. And the day everything lined up for me to go on this trip, they struck an artesian well with a plethora of water. Cool. And so it's amazing just the, the breakthrough that's happening. There's a lot of God stories just flowing out of this place, and it's cool to be a part of it. Well, Father, we bless Stephen. We love him. We love to see him go. We hate to see him go all at the same time. Lord, we just ask that you would guard, protect, um, enable, uh, all those things, Lord. Help him in, in this trip and what he's doing. And we just, Stephen, we just bless who you are and what you're doing. We lay hands of blessing on you. We reach out and see who you are and what you're doing. And we say, yes, Lord. Amen and amen. Yeah, thank you, God, for Stephen. We just pray blessing over him. I just agree with everything that we that Robin prayed for Stephen. And we just, uh, as a church, just thank Stephen for pouring out his time and uh, just serving the church in ministry through the ministry teams and 
all the behind the scenes stuff that Stephen has done faithfully over the years. We just, uh, we just send him out with your power. We just pray that the wind of your spirit would be at his back. Just send him forward and just open all the doors that need to be open. Close all the doors that don't need to be open. We just shut down and rebuke any plans the enemy has prepared for Stephen. In the name of Jesus, we just pray your blood over him, over his mind. Just the protection over him. Just pray for physical health. You just protect him. And I just pray this will be the most amazing season that Stephen has with you. That he would access your spirit and your presence in a way that he has never experienced or accessed you before. That he would live in an open heaven. Just flow through Stephen. Okie doke. It's good. Amen. Um, hey, just want to say that for all of us, like we're praying for, for Stephen, um, the idea of being sent. You don't go from this place. It's not our desire that you go from this place, but that you're sent um, and the difference being when you're sent somewhere, uh, it means two things. It means you have a purpose. It has a place that, you, that you're going. You're sent to somewhere. And it, ha- it means that you have somewhere that you're, you belong, that you are sent from. Um, so that as you go from this place, that we would go from here on purpose, on mission. Um, that we would, have, we would approach our week um, being sent from this place as representatives of a kingdom who have a mission, who have a purpose. We have destiny and, and, a, and a plan um, to attack and that we have a place that we can always come back to. You're not, you don't just go and good luck. But when you're sent, it means someone is sending you and you have a place that you can come back and be resourced um, and, and be poured into to be sent again. So, um, it's our desire that you, you feel that way as you, you go from here. Um, so uh, if you need prayer of any kind, whatever, we'll have a group up here that would love to um, meet you in whatever need you have, physical, emotional, spiritual, um, relational. Uh, we want to we wanna encourage you to pour the, the kingdom of God into you so that you can be sent out, um, filled up to overflowing uh, into the week ahead. All right. So um, Lord bless you guys. Thanks for being here.